Welcome to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Each week on the podcast, you'll hear stories and tactics from experts and influencers who will provide you with actionable steps to transform your business and your life. I'm your host, Larissa McClemon, and I help salon owners move from stress and overwhelm to lead a life of freedom and profit by implementing a strategic framework to grow and scale their business. So wherever you are in the world, I want to officially invite you to join me in this episode and make an important step in your journey towards more freedom and more profit. What if I told you that you could achieve more by doing less? that you could finally ditch that nagging feeling of overwhelm while still feeling accomplished and happy with work and life. That's the dream, right? I think in our industry, people associate the feeling of happiness with milestones, like a pay rise or a promotion. But as a salon owner, sometimes it feels like we miss out on that sort of thing. You're working hard to ensure the team are rewarded, but where's your reward? You're grinding every day. Sometimes it feels like you're running on a hamster wheel. No end in sight. And it can be tough. If you find yourself always feeling dissatisfied, like you can always do more and your best is never good enough, no matter how much effort or time that you spend, then it's no surprise that you aren't getting the endorphin hit, the reward for the work that you so badly need and want. Like it's time for you to feel good about being in business and celebrate even the small wins because you deserve it. Is that actually a secret to doing this and it's something that I wanted to share with you that's why I'm going to introduce you to this week's guest the ever so lovely Cass Dunn. Now Cass is a trained psychologist, mindfulness coach, author of the book Crappy to Happy and she specializes in helping you achieve everything that you want not just in your personal life but also in your work by overcoming imposter syndrome and self-doubt and working towards greater self-belief. In this episode, you get a bit of a sneak peek into Cass's strategies around how to truly live a meaningful life that will better you as a person and the CEO of your salon. Now, this is something that I think everyone can benefit from. So let's dive into the episode. Let's welcome Cass. Cass, thank you so much for joining me on the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. Very pleased to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, chat and talk about this great topic. Um, But before we do that, please, why don't you tell us, Cass, where are you in the world? Uh, What do you do? How did you get to be doing it? Mm. I will give you the short version, the shortest version possible of that. So in short, I'm Cass Dunn. I'm a psychologist and I'm based on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland. My... My story is that I, um, after studying, well, first of all, my background was always psychology. My interest was psychology. I also have a master's in coaching psychology as well as a master's in clinical psychology. So I was working for a long time as a life coach before I came back and did my postgraduate studies as a clinical psych. So I've worked kind of across the whole spectrum from people who are really, you know, high achieving, um, you know, that real life coaching, executive coaching, wanting to be the best they can be kind of client to you know, people experiencing depression, anxiety, suffering, uh, you know, at the low end of the scale, you know, in terms of mental health. Um, About 
seven years ago, I was going to say five years ago, but doesn't time fly? About seven years ago, my family and I packed up and left the city. So we were in Brisbane and moved to the Sunshine Coast hinterland, which was a dream of mine to live on acreage. And about that time, I sort of started to shift my business into more working in the online space. So that for me was about um, creating more of a lifestyle, um, being able to work, you know, the whole hashtag laptop lifestyle, <laughs> work from anywhere kind of dream. Still involves a lot of work, I should add. <laughs> um, and I and I began writing. Um, I was invited to be the resident psychologist on a couple of celebrity online fitness programs. That's how I came to be associated with my good friend Tiffany Hall. Um, so I, she's an Australian. She was a former Biggest Loser trainer. I don't know if you've heard of her over there. But um, so really working um, in that online space in terms of really bringing my coaching background in, to be honest. Um, and then I was from there, Tiff and I launched a podcast called Crappy to Happy. Tiff stayed for a little while and then she left. And then I took over the Crappy to Happy podcast. And now I interview really interesting guests from around the world. And it very much has a focus on living your le- best life. And, you know, Crappy to Happy says it all, doesn't it? Whatever's making you feel crappy, how can you turn that around? And we really try to give people listeners practical strategies that they can take away and apply off the back of the podcast I've got a multi um, publishing book deal I guess Um, I've published three crappy to happy books one being how to be happier in life uh, generally the second one is how to be happier at work and that's really all about finding more meaning and fulfillment in your day job whatever that might be Uh, And the third one is about relationships and not just couple relationships, but just generally how we can have more fulfilling relationships with family, friends, um, you know, colleagues, uh, partners, whatever. And in the last 12 months, I have shifted to, so as uh, I've also, you know, been working on creating a whole lot of online courses, digital products, um, again, with that focus of moving away from one-on-one client work and being able to offer my expertise more broadly. So I have online programs in mindfulness and happiness. And in the last 12 months, I've really shifted my focus into this area of self-confidence and imposter syndrome. I realized with the work I was doing, particularly with women, um, that we are just so held back by second guessing and self-doubt. And I mean, the stories that I've heard of the anxiety and the stress and the overwhelm that is created um, by women particularly, I know it's not just women, but, but women particularly, uh, and how if we can um, get them to start believing in themselves, how life can just be so much easier and more fulfilling and more meaningful. And they might actually have a chance of achieving success. And if they are successful, they might have a chance of enjoying it because that's the other thing is even very successful women are just constantly waiting for the other shoe to drop, thinking it's only a matter of time before it all kind of is taken away from me because this can't really, I can't really be worthy or deserving of this success. So that is my mission in life at the moment, Larissa. <laughs> and um, I love that. And I feel like that's very aligned with, and, and one of the reasons you're here today is because, you know, I too experienced this working with um, primarily women salon owners, uh, but not exclusively, like this is not just a woman's problem. No. But predominantly, maybe. Um, but as a business owner, we're often spend so much time in this overwhelmed state and in high stress. And that certainly was my journey for a long time in my business life until I made the decision to, I can't live like this anymore. I don't want to live like this anymore. And I do believe that I can have my cake and eat it too. I can have a good life, be happy, not be stressed 
and have a uh, hugely successful business. Why can't we achieve this? We just need to work out how to do that. So um, inviting you here today was kind of part of that quest to how do we do this and actually be happy in our work? Because I've discovered through coaching salon owners that a lot of it has to do, well, a lot of it hasn't got to do with the strategies, the business strategies. It's not more marketing or more clients. It's actually a little bit more about how we manage ourselves. Yeah. And that's where it lies. And if we can't fix that, then there's not a lot of hope for the business. <laughs> right. <laughs> so talk to us a little bit about this kind of simple quest of how do we be happier in work and thus into our lives? Well, work is such a huge part of our lives. And that's the reason my second book was about how to be happier at work, because, you know, we're spending half of our waking hours or more in our jobs. And presumably we choose these careers because it's what we love to do. It's what we enjoy doing. It's what we're good at doing. If that's not the case, then that's a fundamentally a problem. And I think I think it's worth pointing out that sometimes people do take a job or a career path because they think it's what they should do, or it's the only thing that's available to them. So First of all, really questioning, is this what I really want to do? The thing about happiness and my key message is that we, and I learned this as a life coach, you know, like people put happiness on the other side of a goal. Like when I, when I, get, when I can hire more staff, you know, then I'll be happy. When I can get reach this level of turnover, then I'll be happy. Um, if we trace our own timelines, like, you know, God, I can't wait to finish school. Then I'll be so happy. I can't wait to get into uni. Can't wait to finish uni. Can't wait to get a car. Can't wait to get a job. Can't wait to quit a job. Can't wait to get married. Can't wait to get divorced. <laughs> you know, it's like it's a lot of waiting. There's a lot of put, put postponing happiness, um, mm. expecting that it's going to arrive in the form of the next thing. You know, the next goal, the next. And I think that's why it takes us a long time to get it. But eventually, maybe like you, Larissa, you know, we realize that we're ticking all the boxes and we've achieved all the things and somehow this happiness is still, it hasn't arrived. You know, it's this elusive thing. And so it, it sounds really simplistic, but it really is about learning to come back to the present, like what, what is here right now to be appreciated and to be grateful for. And also when we're constantly waiting for happiness to arrive, we are very focused on what's, what, what's not working. Um, and I think that's a really fundamental um, mental shift as well, just to be able to take time. And I think we know all of this. It's just, a, it's just doing it. It's like what is actually working really well um, and allowing ourselves to experience that and um, in, in almost embrace that or we, we deflect uh, success and achievement and things going well. We, our brain minimizes them. We sort of brush them off, dismiss them, can't even take compliments. You know, women are the worst. Um, <laughs> but actually acknowledging what we have done and what is going well. Um, and it's not about not having goals, but it is very much about like not attaching our happiness in life and our joy to the achievement of those goals. It really is about enjoying every step of the way. Um, and I think also a really key thing with happiness is um it's not about just feeling good all the time. I think that's another really big misconception about happiness is that it's just, we should just feel happy. Like happiness to me is a sense that my life has, yes, there is joy. Yes, there is appreciation and gratitude and love and friends and all of that. But there is also some sense that my life has meaning and that my life has value. And so really coming back to what does have meaning 
in my life and what is important to me. And if I'm saying that what is really important to me is the flexibility to be able to, um, you know, to be there for my kids and be the best parent that I can be, but I'm actually working 20 hours a day, um, then something's off. And so that's, that's always going to be off. So recognizing, and so sometimes it is hard to prioritize what is most important. And sometimes it feels un- really uncomfortable to do the thing that is most important, but it's only by tolerating that discomfort that we have a, a, any p- opportunity, like any sort of chance of living a life that actually feels an in integrity. And that is ultimately what life satisfaction is about, which is sort of my definition of real happiness. I love that. Um, how did you say it? Like uh, choosing to live a little bit uncomfortable or mm, what's in the get, uncomfortable get comfortable with un- getting, with being uncomfortable <laughs> yeah and actually just act intentionally choosing to step into that because on the other side of that is the result or the satisfaction or the happiness or whatever yes um I really really like that uh one of the things I notice often is that we that people are holding themselves back from their own success mm. and whether it's not choosing to do the uncomfortable to get to the comfortable or uh, I don't know what it is. Why do people hold themselves back when sometimes they know what they could, should, would do, but they don't? Sometimes because it's uncomfortable, there's that. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and so just getting honest about that for a start. But the the holding themselves back part, I think that, that sometimes that can run a little deeper. Um, and this is the focus of my real, you know, my sort of self-confidence um, kind of mission at the moment is to look at um, some of those core beliefs. You know, as a psychologist, we all form these ideas about ourselves and what we're capable of and what, how the world works and how life works and what my place is and where I fit, like very early on. And those things, Carl Jung, one of the my favorite quotes is um, until the unconscious becomes conscious, it will direct your life and you'll call it fate. So looking at what are the, all of those unconscious you know, beliefs you have about what you're capable of or what you're worthy of, or, and that could be about work. It could be about money. It could be about, you know, you know, think about all the stories that we tell ourselves about, you know, work hard, work hard, play hard, or, you know, blood, sweat, tears. Like we've got these ideas about anything to be successful means that it requires this effort and hard work. And if we're not efforting and, you know, really killing ourselves, then we're not somehow not deserving of success. But also as an individual, we have deep feelings often of unworthiness and um, undeservingness, and that can come from family history. Mm. And it's not about, you know, we have to blame our parents and sit in therapy for years, but even the most minor things in childhood can, can knock our confidence or, you know, shape what we think we're capable of. We have stories about ourselves. I'm the smart one, not the sporty one. I'm the pretty one, not the funny one, you know. Um, and those things can continue to play out. Uh, for a lifetime, unless we actually stop and really have a good look at that. And then I think the other thing about um, holding ourselves back, and I think this is the piece that is often missing from standard sort of coaching approaches, and I've done plenty of them myself, um, is that we very much look at change your thinking, you know, change the stories that you're telling yourself and, and um, you know, reframe those limiting beliefs and then that will change how you feel and then that will lead you to doing a different action. And that is very true and that is very important. 
But when this stuff runs deeper, it's like a nervous system response. It's like a fear that is integral. Like it's like, you know, your body keeps the score. And sometimes we just spin and, and I've been there myself, you know, we spin our wheels and spin our wheels and spin our wheels. And we know all the things we need to do, but there is just something invisible that stops us from doing it. And sometimes that is like literally your body and which talks to your brain going, I don't think so. Like that's not safe. That's not safe for you. And I think uncovering that and learning to actually manage your, and it's bigger than just a podcast episode, but learning how to kind of tap into calming down your nervous system at that really foundational level, that can unlock a whole new experience of life. Sometimes we can't see it. It's actually operating really, really deep. Hello, just me popping into this episode with a little message. If you want help implementing a strategy to help build and grow your team, then let's connect. Become the CEO you know is inside of you and know life is for living, not slaving. If you're committed to leveling up your business, maybe you've thought about working with me, but you're just not sure, then let me tell you who I work with. Maybe we're a match. I work with a certain type of salon owner, a salon or spa owner looking to make a huge leap forward. You have a team of four or seven or more and are already smashing seven to eight K a week or more. I help salon owners prepare and get to $19,000 a week. That's a million dollar business. If you're more than ready to step up and become a real CEO of your business, rather than just another day fully booked on the floor and the business just becomes overwhelming and stressful, you know you want to grow a team and a sustainable business that's not centered all around you a successful, predictable, profitable business that works without you. Not that you don't have to drive it, but it's not dependent upon you. You're willing to be open, coachable, put the right strategic systems in your business. You're a massive action taker. In 60 days from now, things could be completely different. A year from now, life and business could be better than you ever imagined. If you want to have a chat, see if we're a fit and Salon Mastery is right for you, then DM me, let's talk. Or you can find Salon Mastery application on www.salonownerscollective.com. Fill out the application, I'll get it, have a look through it. Keen to find out more about you and your business. All right, for now, let's go back to the episode. I think we can all think of a time or a moment when you've had a physical reaction Mm. to a... Uh, mental trigger you know somebody Mm. says something or something happens but we physically feel that and even though we can all think of a time when we felt literally oh I feel sick about that or do you know I've got butterflies in my tummy I mean all of those little sayings come from our body yes but somehow we somehow it takes a little bit of time for us to think that really there is a physical and mental connection and that they are related um and that they would both talk to each other equally. The body talks to the brain and the brain talks to the body and that goes both ways. And do you we know, control both. You know, it's 80%, 80% body to brain. Yeah. So that blows my mind. I love hearing that. 80% of the communication is body to brain. So your story comes from your, your body. The, th- the thought that you, uh, we, we so often, even as a psychology, like a, a postgraduate graduate psychology student, I was taught you change your brain and, and you know, you that changes your emotional state, you know. If your emotional state is coming from your body to your brain, then the story is t- attached afterwards. It's backwards. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and the other key thing, I know we're not up to strategies yet, but you know, I always tell people, I think this is a useful time to say that you can't talk to physiology with words. Your your body doesn't respond to words. You can't, this is why nobody ever in the history of calming down ever calmed down by being told to calm down. You can't tell yourself to calm down. You <laughs> you this is why we focus on things like deep breathing and mindfulness is core to what I teach as well, but slowing down and breathing, your body responds, your physiology only responds to physiology. So you have to take Mm -hmm. physiological action to communicate to your body that you're safe and that it's okay. And then you can have a hope of changing how you think or perceive of that situation, but you've got to start with your body. Okay. I love that. Uh, you brought up the word mindfulness. Let's talk a little bit about that because uh, it's a bit of a buzzword right now, but buzzes happen because there's something in it. Mm. So let's talk about mindfulness. Like why, what is it? Why is it important? And how does it relate to being happy at work? So mindfulness is really where I started. It was my, um, my the fundamental first thing I taught anybody in my clinical psychology practice. Um, it is still, it was the first online course that I ever created. It is, I include it as a bonus with most programs that I offer because I think it is, it is the first step to making any change in any area of your life is to be able to, first of all, be present to what is happening as it's happening without judgment. So, and that is what mindfulness is. So mindfulness is um, being intentionally aware of what is happening outside of you and therefore what is happening inside of you in response to that and to be able to take in that whole experience and stay present to it, not escape, not run away, not deny, not think yourself out of it, to stay present to it and drop all of the judgment about it and the stories or the wanting it to be different or fix it or change it, just that raw awareness. And from that point, then we can actually make a choice about how we choose to respond in that moment. And normally what's happening is we're just so with the busy and the doing and the reacting and the uh, the old habit patterns that we just play out that on repeat in our lives that we just um, we spend our life just reacting and we, we spend our life um, being dictated to by these noise in our head and part of being mindful is actually being aware like watching the thoughts in your head like observing the story that I'm telling myself I don't have to believe everything I think thoughts aren't facts Um, feelings aren't facts either so when you can actually observe the story that you're telling yourself or you can observe the emotional reaction that's have you're having in your body and you don't need to quickly like eat some sugar or have a glass of wine to make it go away because it's not comfortable, um, then then from that place and without judgment, so dropping all the self-criticism, dropping all the shame that we which we all have, um, then we can actually um, make a choice and we can and, and if that choice can be come from values, from actually knowing who do I want to be in this situation, what is most important to me in this moment, how do I want to show up in this situation or in this relationship um, and make my choice from that place instead of just reacting like that emotional knee-jerk reaction that we often have, or just running the old programming that we've been running for years, then, then that is the key to um, fulfillment and meaning and living your best life. Yeah, I really love that, um, being intentional about uh, – well, I think what I like – 
is this idea of being outside of ourselves and observing ourselves mm. and, then, and then actually being intentional about the choice that we make rather than just react and mm. choosing. I'm choosing my behavior or I'm choosing my response. Um, and, and I think Larissa, that feels really empowering. Yeah, very. And also if we go back to what we said before about getting comfortable being uncomfortable and being able to tolerate discomfort, I think that I think with mind, anything to do with mindfulness and meditation, if you don't have a really deeper understanding about it, it feels, it can come across as like, oh, you know, just close your eyes and breathe and go off to your happy place and like where no, that no stress and no worry exists. But it's actually hardcore. Like mindfulness, getting present and being staying present to something that is deeply uncomfortable, an emotional trigger, a shame, a pain, a rejection, a fear, a, you know, that unworthiness story, like actually staying present to that is can be pretty confronting, and but it is the key to healing and it is the key to progress and change. I think the piece for me that made uh, all of that doable for me over time was giving myself permission to have time to work through that and not mm. the pressure to, oh, I've observed this must change now and just observe it and uh, be aware that the more I notice it, the less often that it will be and that slowly I can make change. I don't, because otherwise there's this need to, oh, I'm observing, you know, ugly behavior from myself or whatever. I need to change it. I don't want to be that person. It's like, okay, just take your time. It's going to happen a few times. I don't need to solve all the problems of my brain right now. <laughs> Self-compassion. Self-compassion yeah. is key to so mindfulness. For me, and I, this is another little interesting fact, um, mindfulness uh, training, and I'm trained in mindfulness-based cognitive therapy, which is, you know, people with a history of depression, which is depression is characterized by a lot of highly, you know, self-critical thoughts, negative feelings, unworthiness, helplessness, guilt. Um, but, you know, we all experience those on a spectrum at various times in our life. It's not, you don't have to be clinically, clinically depressed, but as I said before, mindfulness is dropping the judgment. And so it's sort of implied that there is this self-compassion, but it was Kristen Neff who later actually pulled out that bit about self-compassion and really studied that as a whole separate kind of construct in psychology. This idea that you could be compassion compassionate to yourself, particularly when you are struggling or when you feel inadequate, when you feel like you failed. Um, this idea of self being kind to yourself when you don't do it particularly well, you know, when you do those terrible behaviors, which we all feel so bad about. And um, that is the game changer. Self-compassion is the game changer. And when they actually went back and looked at, you know, the people who do a mindfulness course, for example, and who learn mindfulness and they do recover from chronic recurrent depression and they don't relapse and they drilled into what is the, the thing about this mindfulness training that keeps these people from slipping back into depression. Is it the mindfulness training? Is it the observing the thoughts? Is it just being in a group of supportive people? You know, they, they research every little thing and it was the self-compassion that keeps people from slipping back into depression. So that is key. Um, right. <laughs> be kind to yourself yeah. stop the judgment yeah I think that's the best thing that we can do all right Cass you're a business owner um and you know business can be challenging and tough at times what would you say would be uh, a quote or a mantra or something that kind of keeps you focused and in forward momentum my current mantra um is let it be easy because I am 
a recovering perfectionist, like many people. I'm a recovering overachiever, overcomplicator, overthinker. Um, and this all stems from those not good enough feelings. You know, I need to do more, be more, have more, work harder. There's got to be something else I should be doing. I'm not, you know, and this idea that any success that must be the result of working myself to death. Um, and so let it be easy is um, my commitment to doing less and achieving more, um, to coming back to trusting myself. And if something feels off or hard or effortful or like, you know, I how do I take it off my plate completely or um, delegate it or, you know, or delete it? Or how do I do it in a way that is um, simpler for me? And that often requires trusting that it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be gold standard every time, you know, in my gold standard, because my gold standard is probably way higher than anybody else's expectations. Um, and I tell you what, it's been a game changer for me. And I'm pretty sure anybody listening, if you could do the same thing um, and just come back to that, let it, let it be easy. I stop myself every time I feel that pressure of oh it feels too hard it feels too much it's feeling like a burden it's feeling you know like it's consuming me no stop this is not what it's meant to be like it can be you can achieve everything you want without all of that um without it being so hard and would you say it, it just starts with a decision to change mm. that mm. i think all right i love that um Tell us, what is a, a book or a podcast or some sort of resource that you think all salon owners should get their hands on? Well, of course, there's the three crappy to happy books and there's the crappy to happy podcast. Yes, so I could please not. tell us about those. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, look, you can search up crappy to happy, you know, the podcast in you know, wherever you get your podcasts is, is one of Australia's most successful, most popular um, health and well-being podcast and I have some amazing interesting guests on there talking about a whole range of topics so so there's that and the crappy to happy books are available in all good books so if you are an audible subscriber all three crappy to happy books are actually available for free on audible right. they're a part of the package for audible members you don't have to use a credit if you want to download them please go download them and just up my numbers so that it looks good for audible <laughs> I shouldn't say that um do you know what Larissa I have re I read a lot of books and I'm sent a lot of books as a podcast host as well. Publishers um, send me like truckloads of books and I don't often get to read all of them and I have read some very good ones. But when it comes to the book for business owners, I go back to all the way back to the E-Myth. The E-Myth, yes. right? Yes. The E-Myth Revisited, which is, I mean, it sold millions of copies for good reason. It's still just as relevant today as it has ever been. And I think for business owners, like that is. It's a fundamental. Oh, it is a fundamental. You've got to start there. Yeah. And right. like to, I remember reading that when I started my life coaching, early 2000s, like 20 years ago. I'm going, oh, my gosh, this makes mm. so much sense. And I think anybody in business, it, it will continue to make sense. Yeah, great. Good. I'm going to put the link to all of those things in the show notes of this episode. Uh, Cass, I know everyone is going to want to stalk you, find you. You're actually really easy to find because crappy to happy. <laughs> you found like, me? You type that in and that you just come at the top. So let's just say crappy to happy everywhere on all the platforms. Is that true? 
<laughs> that is true. My website is castun.com. Um, that's pretty easy to find too. Um, castun underscore XO is my handle on Instagram. Um, you'll find me on Facebook as well. I've just started TikTok. Um, so, um, yeah, not, not, not a big profile on TikTok yet, but that's going to be, it's fun. I find it so fun. Again, let it be easy. I'm just going to be having fun on TikTok this year. <laughs> But Castan, yeah. yeah, you'll find all my social handles on my website as well. So castan.com, it's pretty easy. Amazing. All right. Well, look, I so appreciate your time, your insights. I think it's very on point, very relevant for, um, for salon owners. So I really appreciate you coming and chatting. Thank you so much for having me. Well, I loved this episode. Mindfulness is something that I know for me personally, I need to keep working on to better all areas of my life. It's not easy, though right? But like Cass mentioned in this episode, it's about getting comfortable with the uncomfortable in order to see a positive change in our lives. And living a successful and happy life isn't something that you should wait for and anticipate. It's a journey. It's not a destination. And it started like yesterday. (laughs) This is something that I'm super passionate about helping salon owners not only grow their business to a million dollar salons, but also focusing on the owner themselves and the strategies that you need to make to make the decisions that will better your life and your work. Like in 10 years from now, what are the things that you're going to remember or to regret? You will not regret choosing to coach your kid's soccer team, but you might regret working 50 hours of the week. I want to help you make time for the shit that actually means something to you whilst also growing your business. And because I know it's something that you've worked super hard on, because that's the point of working harder so you can enjoy the other parts of your life. Am I right? So if you're a salon owner and you've got a team of four, maybe seven or more, and you're already smashing maybe 7K, maybe eight a week or more, and you're open to change and you want to change and you need to do things differently, then let's chat. I'm going to leave a link to chat with me in Messenger. It's always the best place to find me in the show notes below. And thanks for joining me on another episode of the Salon Owners Collective Podcast. And I look forward to connecting with you again, same time, same place next week. Ciao for now. Thanks for joining me on another episode of the podcast. Tune in every week as I reveal the latest insights and advice on what it takes to truly master your inner salon CEO and master your salon success. Subscribe to the Salon Owners Collective Podcast on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at www.salonownerscollective.com. But make sure to join me in my Facebook group for answers to common questions and much, much more. Thanks for listening and I look forward to tuning in with you again next week.